shall we begin? Hello everyone, and welcome back to Legion Quest. This is your premier defunct podcast all about the FX series Legion. I am, as always, your host, Zachary Jenkins, and with me is my pal, Matt Sibley. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I can't believe we're almost at the new season. We made it through another hiatus. We did. I mean, look, let's let's be fair. Uh, this hiatus was a little bit longer and a little bit more challenging. Uh, but I think we came up with some real good content to fill the, uh, fill the people's mind brains while we were gone. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. The episode where we just sort of tried to find rhymes with characters' names, I think that's one of the high points. Yeah, uh, here's the thing. David doesn't have a lot to rhyme with, and that was our starting point. But I really think we came through. Yeah, well, once we got to, you know, Lenny, everything just rolled Yeah, Lenny's a good one. Like, it's good because there's an in-universe joke about how Lenny has several names. It's tough. Man, okay, it's been so long. I forgot. This show's really good, right? (laughs) Yeah. But how long has it been? Like a year? Uh, Time has no meaning anymore. Yeah, no, we're all we're all kind of stuck. There's a time traveler in the third season, the third and final season, so mm-hmm. that that just means that none of this in linear time matters anymore. And because of that, we decided to bring a third heat to this podcast, someone to help guide us through the next little bit, and that is my friend Adam Rack. Adam, how you doing today? I am very good. I spiked my hair up as high as I possibly could for this episode. So uh, uh, thank you for having me on Legion Quest. This is very exciting. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. (laughs) Adam, if you don't know, is my co-host on this small other podcast I do, Battle of the Adam, which I'm sure none of you have heard of. And honestly, like, let's break kayfabe for a second. If you got through all this and didn't, like, triple check your podcatcher, good for you for playing along, guys. I'm really proud. (laughs) (laughs) uh but oh yeah the power of bits look uh i think that's one thing we've learned from legion quest uh sometimes weird esoteric bits that don't really go anywhere but are kind of set dressing can really uh really make a show like a sushi bar that's unlimited and that's the only conference room (laughs) it's a very specific analogy (laughs) it is a very specific analogy because okay does the sushi conference room come back in season three? Adam, go. No. If only because. Matt, go. Yeah. Uh, final, final, final scene, yeah. Oh. Okay, perfect. Go do it again. All right. I love that. I mean, I'd love to see it again. I'd love to go there, but I don't think it's going to be back. Uh, which will be sad. But today, to make things less sad and to get us to the upcoming Legion season three, which I believe, as this airs, comes on tonight. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Synergy. Definitely <laughs> planned this way. A lot of things in the near future have just been pure synergy and not happenstance that's working out wildly in our favor. Real Hickman long-term planning here. Real Hickman long-term planning here. You are absolutely right, Matt. But no, uh, today we decided to go through three different X-Men stories all about Legion and rank them on an ever-expanding list of every X-Men story ever from A to Z. Does that sound familiar to anyone on this call? I'm Adam. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Wrong bit. Wrong bit. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 
So it's going to be fun. Uh, this is not coming to us from any particular patron. It's coming to us from the FX network, who's not paying us and is not aware of the existence of this podcast. Uh, if they want to give you money, they could definitely. Dude, if Noah Hawley calls me up and say, hey, here's 20 bucks. Talk about my show. I'd say, yes, sir. So I don't got that. More. <laughs> Matt, Look, Matt's man, demanding I'm... a higher salary for talking about the show, <laughs> even though we're already Even-nights. doing it. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first story that we are going to talk about tonight is the first appearance of Legion. This is New Mutants 26 through 28 by Bill Sienkiewicz and Chris Claremont, simply titled Legion. Uh, Adam, what what's this besides just the concept of Legion, who is many? Uh, what is this story about? Oh, man. Uh, we discover that on Muir Island, we have a, uh, unbeknownst to Charles Xavier, he has a son uh, with a, um, it, what is Gabrielle Haller's official job? She's a, what is she? She's a diplomat? She, She's a, yes, she, she is the Israeli ambassador to the U.K., there we go. Okay. So I think uh, the UK, it might be the US. I don't know. I think her job is plot. Yeah, sure. Like it's whatever the mm-hmm. plot needs. So unbeknownst to Charles, uh, he and the new mutants go to Muir Island and they meet David Holler. He is not having a good day. Um, and they get sucked into his mind where they meet his multiple personalities and there are some interesting problematic elements to this story, which we should probably talk about. And it has good, good, good Sienkiewicz art in it. Um, and that's the best way I can distill it in a couple sentences. I think the important thing to note is that Bill Sienkiewicz is a icon and should be respected as such. Because, oh, this issue is very, very good to look at. The art is superb, and I am lucky enough that I have the uh, the giant IDW Sienkiewicz book. Um, so I, I looked back through that uh, through these three issues, and especially once they get into David's mindscape, it is just utterly beautiful the way that he illustrates this stuff. Um, we were talking in our last episode about Proteus and about how John Byrne seems to just sort of be the tip of the iceberg in terms of how Proteus is doing his mind warping abilities, um, reality warping abilities. And here we get Sienkiewicz to really start playing around with our expectations on, you know, how the page is. This is post demon bear. So we know he's capable of this kind of stuff. Um, and he really is cutting loose, especially in the second and third issues. It's just the thing of everything starts breaking down. He's able to get more abstract. He's able to play with the negative space more as well. Absolutely. He's, he is a master of some of that stuff. And like, there's a reason he is as highly regarded as he is. Well, and, now, and Zach, I think you had actually discovered this the other day. You actually found the panel that they pull the motif for the end credits for Legion FX um, which I thought was a really good spot on your part. I probably would have flipped past it and not noticed it. Yeah, I read th- I've re- read these issues several times, and I noticed that this time. I was like, "Holy wait, no! This is the exact like '60s kind of square, moddy kind of look mm-hmm. that they have in the end credits." And I always thought that was just a weird aesthetic choice by Noah Hawley, and it may just be coincidental. Nah, but... I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's pretty. I think it's purposefully taken. Even the color scheme is the same. 
Whereas things like that and um, when the furniture and things start getting thrown about, which is a lot like the kitchen scene of uh, season one. Oh, yeah, like, even, if it, even if it's not a direct lifting, it's... No, but it, it's... And that's one of the things that Legion, the TV show, I think does well, is it takes inspiration from the comics, but it's very much its own thing, not beholden to them. Yeah, the ability to pick and choose really helps it out. Well, and I think it's to its benefit, because um, while these issues are absolutely gorgeous, and I love the idea of there being yet another forgotten child, um, you know, Proteus Part 2, um, I do think that there are some things here that have not aged well. Um, in particular, uh, the treatment and description of what's actually, quote-unquote, wrong with David, the entire backstory of David and how, you know, his, quote-unquote, they describe it as his autism was trauma, uh, you know, incited. There, There's some very strange stuff that Claremont is playing around here with, not the least of which the story begins with the last problematic thing he did, which was turn the uh, the two characters into Native Americans and send them to Ireland, Scotland. <laughs> yeah, Tom Corsi and Sharon Friedlander. We'll discuss it when we get to Demon Bear. What a choice! Oh boy. Uh, but I I I agree with you. I think Claremont knew what he wanted to do with Legion, but I'm not sure that he or really the larger culture of the mid '80s had the right language in place to describe specific mental health conditions. And I think that's something with Legion, the less specific you can be, the better, because at the end of the day, he's also a guy who has a ton of superpowers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you're going the route that his superpowers are connected to his mental illness, well, man, you have got to tie that in in a very delicate way. And it might just be better to gloss over some of that. Mm. The second you start trying to provide a diagnosis for him is when it gets too caught up in the real. Yeah, I think it's much better. And we'll talk about this in, in other stories that we talk about today. But when it becomes an abstract concept that serves the story, I think it's much better here. Um, like Matt was just saying, once it gets literal and we start getting into these ideas of the, the person, you know, the initial idea here is that some of these personalities, particularly the, the quote unquote Arab um, that they seem to be after in, in issues two and three um, are inspired by things that have happened in David's own life. And that's where things, you know, th- that I find more problematic than other interpretations where the maybe the personalities are more spontaneously generated so that David doesn't even know who they are. Um, you know, I think. Just think that there's some different things here that are being played around with that are really interesting, but looking back on them with hindsight, they they're not as successful because of that. Yeah, I think I think there's some stuff. The one interesting note, uh, I like this story. So one one thing that happens, and I don't think it's handled the best, but I I have to believe that Claremont and Sinkevich had the best intentions when they were going about it. Uh, Jamal, uh, who is one of David's personalities in here. And is, you know, said to have been literally taken from someone else as a terrorist who attacked David's family and killed his stepfather. Uh, he is seen as a sympathetic character here saying, hey, I got I got caught up in some stuff when I was younger. I didn't know what was happening. It was a bad situation. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to atone for that. 
and trying to, in whatever way he can, make up for horrible things he did, where Jack Wayne, who is his Legion's most dominant personality, is he is very much a standard imperialist villain. Like, he is... I say villain. It's hero. It's hero in those stories in, like, the early 1900s. Like, he's a pulp hero. Uh, and Claremont specifically calls out, hey, this was actually terrible. Why did we let Why did we let people do this? Uh, and It's always really interesting, though, because of the fact that you have the issues with Legion and the way that they talk about his mental health. It's like a weird middle ground, in a way. Like, it's almost getting it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, there are things here that are um, starting to become critical of sort of the, you know, the John Wayne, uh, you know, <laughs> like you mentioned that he's this imperialist conqueror and that there's a nuance to perhaps what the politics of, you know, Middle East, Middle East extremism might be. Um, but it's so based in the language of what Claremont's understanding of this is in the 1980s. Um, that, you know, I think looking back on it, it, it still lacks something. It's, it's almost there. Um, but it, but it's not. Yeah. So I think all that's good. The one other thing that I'd want to talk about on this issue, uh, how good is Warlock in all of this? <laughs> I love when he thanks the, uh, <laughs> the Blackbird, uh, for taking them <laughs> to Muir Island. It's, it's so adorable. Is that in the, um, I think it is in the second issue when he, ends up seeing everyone burned by the flames and you like you really build for him in the sense that he can't fully comprehend what's happening as well he just knows it's bad it's i mean this is pretty recent into him joining the team uh mm. but honestly sinkevich is he created warlock but he is the number one warlock artist like he gets that that character should just be a living ink blot on the screen mm. and he is so good for it yeah, he does a very good job of just kind of scribbling Warlock in. <laughs> that is just this blob of ink. I mean, I know when I draw Warlock, I kind of I tend to draw him as a as a robot, and uh, that's just how I like to draw him. But I, I know that if I was to try and do it Sinkevich style, I, I definitely couldn't do it justice. Um, but we are getting really great character building here in these in these New Mutants issues with Rain, with Warlock, um, and. You know, we're we're starting to get that little inkling of like, huh, you know, what's what's Professor X's backstory, you know, writ large? This is uh, maybe not everything we thought it was. And it, it is interesting to go back to it with sort of the hindsight of Legion's parentage. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the fact it takes a little bit before it comes spilling out. You know, I think you may be, you may be waiting to get to it. I'd say bit. Xavier even gets some really good moments here because, for one, he calls out, oh, man, you know, me having a relationship with Gabby Holler uh, when she was my patient, uh, probably a bad thing that I did. Mm-hmm. That was unethical. Uh, this this whole thing is because I kind of screwed up pretty big. And, uh, yeah, I I should reassess my life here. Well, and that's going to come up again. Uh, in, a, in another story we're going to talk about today, <laughs> big time. It is. I do also love that the the panels where you find out that David and Xavier are, like, related, uh, they both have the very big Sienkiewicz eyebrows for Xavier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the one defining feature between them. It's so good. 
bit ironic though that uh that david has such giant hair given that charles is so follically challenged but uh we won't hold that against anybody <laughs> does anyone ever drawn xavier with giant hair because i kind of want to see that now oh i mean a flashback <laughs> He could James McAvoy kind of tried, but he didn't get as far as he needed to. He went with hippie hair, and that doesn't mm. work for Xavier. Now, if he would have gelled all that stuff up, or maybe used some like ozone depleting hairspray, well, we'll see. <laughs> that could have been a very different Days of Future Past movie. Um, I like this art quite a bit, um, but I'm kind of interested to hear how you guys would put this on the list because uh, it's a weird one. It is weird. Now, on our list, we have 240 X-Men stories. Yowza. Uh, s- starting with the Dark Phoenix Saga and going all the way to the very bottom to the Draco, uh, which I've been thinking a lot about recently, which is wild. I am very sorry. Uh, but we'll get to, we'll, no, we'll <laughs> get to that. It's actually super good. Uh, not the Draco, but the reason I've been thinking about it. Uh, but, yeah, let's see. On this list... We have uh, New Mutants 21 Slumber Party at number 12. I think this is worse than Slumber Party. I agree. Um, At number 28, we have more recent New Mutants story, Dead Souls. I think I like that better than this. I like Dead Souls more. Yeah. Mm. What's your thought, Matt? I assume you've read Dead Souls. Yeah, no, I liked uh, Dead Souls more. And okay. I, okay. I obviously okay. haven't read as many X Men stories as you guys, but we've been forced by down. ourselves. <laughs> we've done this to ourselves. <laughs> this is our fault. Yeah. Uh, I would. I would put it maybe somewhere between uh, Uncanny X Men, one hundred and eleven to one hundred and thirteen Magneto Triumphant around there. So that's at sixty three. Uh, and I think that's that's getting getting around where I think it should go. What do you think about it compared to the future adventures uh, or the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, where Mister Sinister is a dandy in uh, you know the eighteen hundreds in the UK, and he hates Charles Darwin? I like this what better hell? than that. I don't know what Matt thinks. I think this arc grew on me as I went along. Initially, I think that's fair. yeah. I'm I'm more used to Claremont's rhythms than I am than I was a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and then as Sinkevich still has the space to break everything down, the way the parallels are all working with sort of parentage and adopted families, things like that. Okay. I think my ceiling uh, right here might be. Uh, last week we started talking about uh, Ultimate X-Men World Tour, which has sort of a version of Legion in the story, a combination David-Proteus. Um, I, But I don't think it's as good as what's above that, which is Planet X. So that would probably be my ceiling. I, I don't think it would, would go above that. But I do think it's probably better than, like, Giant Size X-Men... That's exactly what I'm thinking. It's it's definitely better than Giant Size X Men. Yeah. Definitely worse than Planet X. Uh which puts uh Ultimate X Men World Tour and X Factor The Longest Night, the first arc of the Peter David investigations. 
uh, right in the middle of it. I, I might have to put it above both of those just for the Sienkiewicz art. I mean, the the story is, yeah, this, is problematic. That art's pretty darn good. But that art is classic, and it, it, it's very difficult to, to best it. So I would put it personally at, at 54. All right. So I think that's fair. Our new number 54 is New Mutants Legion. Nice. All right. Let's... For he is many. <laughs> All right, let's talk about more Legion, because uh, this is a Legion quest. But we're not going to talk about Legion quest right now, right? No, we're not talking about Legion quest right now. Got it. We're going to talk about Legion quest as our third story, guys. I don't know what you expected. <laughs> uh, but no, for our second story today, we're going to talk about a story I really enjoy. Uh, X-Men Legacy, number 19 through 24. Uh, the trade is titled Legion, for we are many. Uh, it was written by Cy Spurrier with art on, uh, I think, th- about half the issues by Tengen Hut and the other half by Koi Pham. Uh, this is this is the end of Cy Spurrier's incredibly good run on X-Men Legacy starring Legion from Legion. Uh, he didn't know he was starring in the show Legion yet. Uh, that would come later. Uh, but... It really deals with David as a character in a way that I don't think uh, the New Mutants arc ever did. Oh, no. No, I think... Yeah, go ahead, Matt. Of the three stories we're looking at, it's the one that most has him as a character than a plot device. Exactly, exactly. And I think I think Cy Spurrier does a really good job throughout this entire arc, in this entire run, building up this is who David is as a character. He struggles with mental illness... He struggles with the ghost and the burden of being mutant Gandhi's kid. That's a lot on him. Mm -hmm. He struggles with having all of this power that he can't necessarily control and that has ended poorly several times in his life. He just he's burdened with all of this stuff. And this this arc poses the ultimate question of, hey, Legion, uh. If you're going to destroy the world and there's nothing you can do to stop it, what do you do? Well, and it's a fascinating reversal of what we often assume Legion is all about. Um, Cy Spurrier does a very good job in the beginning of this run in establishing what the inside of David's brain looks like and how he's encountering his own supervillains as part of his own brain. And how he interacts with, how he merges with, how he defeats those characters is really the core uh, of this series, aside from his relationship with Blindfold. Um, Whereas this end arc kind of flips that on its head and says, if he can merge with everything inside of his brain, who's to say that he doesn't just merge with, like, the world? (laughs) <laughs> you know, and just sort of become a, what was, what was that game where the character just kind of rolled around and like stuff stuck to it? Um, oh, Katamari Damachi? Yeah. Yeah. Like, th- isn't that kind of what happens in this story <laughs> until like he finally figures out how to overcome it? It's, it, that's essentially what happens. Yeah, you're not wrong. He does, end of the story, uh, David Holler does Katamari Damachi a lot of stuff until he decides to delete his save file. And by save file, I mean himself from all existence. Right, except we are left with uh, a little bit of a, a, a teaser that he is inside blindfold, that that his consciousness is inside blindfold. 
Or at least that she remembers him. Uh, sure, sure. Mm. Um, it's a shame that never really got followed up on. Oh, oh my gosh, no, it did not. We could have talked about the recent Peter Milligan uh, Legion mini that only served to upset me. Mm. Yeah, different direction for sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Now, I want to ask, uh, Matt, how do you feel about the art in this? Because it's definitely unique. Mm. Uh, the thing I'd forgotten is the fact that it shifts over the course of the arc. And you obviously it mm-hmm. wasn't uh, um, on like the, the full set, but I reread it earlier today. And I have the omnibus in front of me now. And I think both styles work in the sense that it's there's a build to the arc and it has like a three act structure in a way. So when it's making the switches, it's not just happening in the middle of an issue because they needed to get a couple more pages ready to ship it. It would be different if they were sort of within the same issue and trying to keep everything consistent that way. Yeah, I definitely think that of the two artists, Koi Fan is probably the weaker of the two. Um, really? And, and here's why, is because if if I recall correctly, um, it's the other artist who is the initial artist on the series. So I sort mm-hmm. of associate his work and his style with, um, you know, with the series at large. Um, it, however, here's what I will say is that when it does switch over, those issues are much more superhero-y in that, you know, you have the full roster of the X-Men trying to, you know, defeat Legion. So I think it, it does a good job of matching the content of the issue and the action of the issue when it does need to switch over. Um, and it does manage to switch back, you know, by the time we get to the final issue so that, um, you know, we can end in the same style that we began. That said, Fan does have my favorite scene of the issue in the run, which is when uh, David's talking with Blindspot. It's, of course, you can dance. Oh, yeah. That is beautiful, isn't it? Mm. It's beautiful. It's not my favorite scene in these issues. Which is? My favorite has to be when David is, you know, he's finally confronting all of his inner demons. He's confronting all of his, you know, desperate personality threads. And he's confronting, you know, this yellow demon who was, you know, an extension of him that took the shape of all his doubt and everything as Charles Xavier and he talks, and there is a point where David and the uh, being come to a conclusion that, you know what, you can't cure what's going on with you. You can't just be rid of your mental illness. Mm. It's something you just have to learn to live with every day. And I'll tell you as, and I haven't talked about this much on the podcast because we like to keep it nice and light, uh, but as someone who decided in the last you know year to finally go to a doctor and, like, get anxiety medication and just deal with the fact that, you know, you, this isn't going away. Uh, that scene, especially on the reread, uh, really impacted me. And I, I think that's one of the strengths of Spurrier as a writer, especially on this run, that unlike uh, Claremont in the original New Mutant stuff, Spurrier not only has the appropriate language to talk about what's going on, he understands it at a deep level of, no, this is the reality of this situation. This is what people go through. 
Well, and I, I want to talk about that in, in two different ways. One, um, the symbolism of having blindfold come to both physically battle uh, Legion from the exterior and also come inside of Legion's mind and the, ending with the two of them making love, um, I think really does speak to also what having a relationship in, you know, in terms of also dealing with, uh, you know, anxiety, whatever kind of uh, mental distress you might be under, um, what that might be all about. The other thing I just want to note is that for people who have not read this, um, this is this is extraordinarily poetic in the way that Cy Spurrier uh, does this entire series. The bulk of what you are reading is first-person narration that is stream of consciousness going through, you know, speakers inside David's brain, text balloons, um, his own voice coming out of his own mouth. And it's all pieces of him talking to himself and to you as the reader. Um, I, I made the joke the other day on Twitter that it's almost like reading Arthur Rambeau. You know, it has this sort of like dark, desperate, quality to it that is just exploring uh the the this the inside monologue of this character and um it i find it's really successful and in times extraordinarily beautiful the way that spurrier handles this well it's a story that could so easily become didactic just from the amount of text that's going on and the conversations but the fact that it's sort of self-actualization and it's not just there to like a rather overt message Mm -hmm. like it's all character intrinsic and everything like that it really helps layer it in on multiple levels and that i think the fact that then the the art becomes about a collective just what happens to tie all of that up in a bow as well well we didn't talk about it in the uh the new mutants arc but it is interesting just how much of claremont's like abundant text is squeezed into a lot of those pages um, as part of the conversations here, I don't find it overwhelming. It almost becomes the, the, the lettering here almost becomes part of the artwork in terms of how it's laid out on the page. So that when you finally get a quiet moment, um, late in the arc, we get, there's this voice that has been sort of haunting blindfold as we go through. And she realizes eventually that it's Xavier trying to tell David that he's proud of him. And, you know, whether that is genuine, whether it's mystical, whatever, however you want to interpret it, that moment becomes so much more important because of all of the text that we've been subjected to so far and, and sort of the, the hail of all of those words um, as we've been going through. Yeah, I think it I think it does an excellent job balancing that. I mean, Cy Spurrier, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but he's a very wordy writer. He loves, loves to just expand on things to the point of parody in some cases uh but here it works incredibly well to get the like specific neuroses of these characters through and makes uh, like you're saying those quiet moments so much more impactful yeah i can see why this would come across as off-putting to some people i know that cy spurrier has his detractors out there i am not one of them um i love that comic books like this exist and can you know explore 
uh, you know, superheroes in sort of unique ways. And the fact that this is mainly happening, even though it has sort of the, the context of an external crisis, you can kind of ignore that. You know, this isn't some giant crossover or anything like that. Um, you you ha- probably have the assumption that the apocalyptic thing that's happening on the outside is not really going to stick in this particular case because we know this is like a, a sub-tier X-Men book um, as part of the larger publishing scheme. So we're able to focus on what the interior is of this one character, which is very, you know, it's not something that you encounter very often in, in uh, big two comics. I think because of all of that, it really is just the best thing he's written as well. I am a big fan of his X-Force run, um, but uh, I agree. This is this is pretty singular um, in the way that it, it's done. It's exceptional. So It's really good. I, I do... I do think if there's one thing that I have any sort of qualms with, it's the ending in that Legion writes himself out of existence, which I think works from a poetic standpoint, but also for a run that, uh, I think for a run that has dealt very deftly with mental illness having a character essentially commit universal suicide is a weird way to end it see i don't i don't read the ending that way i mean you can obviously interpret the ending that um you know as a being as a physical being he is no more but a huge part of what he's all about is the idea that he is this sort of ambiguous psyche um, and I read the ending that he has implanted himself inside of blindfold. You know, he literally says that he's in her head always. Now you can take that symbolically that he's a memory. Um, I, I choose to believe that that's a little more literal um, just because this is superhero comics. And I, I want to believe that uh, that he's there and that he's now a second voice in blindfold's head. Yeah, uh, this is a this is a incredibly good arc. Uh Matt, how do you feel about it compared to uh, compared to the story we just ranked, compared to uh, the New Mutants Legion? I like this a lot more, and I would probably put this somewhere in the top ten. Uh, look, Matt, Matt, Matty <laughs> boy, Matt. I love you. You're great. This isn't better than the time that Colossus and Juggernaut got into a bar fight, and Juggernaut picked up a bar and hit him with it. Um, I will. I know because I, I was thinking of it in terms of like Uncanny X Men, uh, Ashen Scott Scammers, and Dark Angel Saga. The, so I think that, like, gradually I was, I was just working my way it's up. That big for you? Hmm. See, I'm not there, but hmm. yeah, I, I think I think this is this is definitely in the in the top section. Let me let me throw the literal next issue of this. X-Men Legacy 300 is at 37, another Cyspurrier joint. Uh, I like it better than... I like this better than that. Adam, are you on the same I page there? I do, and I think the other thing we can probably compare it to is another Spurrier joint, which is at 35. We have X-Club. Um, I really freaking like X-Club. I know. I really like X-Club. I know. Uh, it's a little difficult to beat uh, Dr. Nemesis with his uh, psychic starfish. Um I think... Yeah, Matt, you know that Dr. Nemesis has a psychic starfish that says all of his innermost thoughts, and they're very both Dr. Nemesis-y and Cyspuriary? Nemesis and I are well acquainted. 
I, I think we're on a good part of the list here, though, because at 33 and 34, we have two single character studies. Um, at 33, we have the X-Men Icons Chamber miniseries. And at 34, we have New X-Men 127, which is a standalone Zorn issue. I'm going to say that I think that the Zorn issue as a standalone piece of just absolute beautiful comic making, it probably stands above this um, for me. Ooh, that's for interesting. Um, where, how about for you? I'll tell you, my, my ceiling mm-hmm. is Inferno New Mutants at 30. Okay. I could get there. I could put this again uh, above Mutant Genesis. I, I think I might have trouble putting it against... Bendis and Eminence, all new X Men one to five, which is pretty. I forget, Matt. Matt, are you a, are you a guy who likes the Bendis X Men? Are you a guy who doesn't like the Bendis X Men? Because there's only two types of folks out there. <laughs> uh, I I think I like it more from an art perspective than I do a writing one. But at the same time, it is what maybe an art or run that I would reevaluate on the reread. All right, that's yeah, fair. Totally I, fair. But at the same time, while we've been looking at this section of the list, I'm sort of like. Would I put it higher than that first lot of um, ecstatics in X Force one one six to one one nine? Yeah, that that one we was my ceiling, people. and then I saw Inferno. I was like, oh wait, no, that one's also very very good. There's mm. babies being sacrificed and Eliana going through an incredibly traumatic time where she also dies. Yeah, that's strangely comparable. Um, so I think if I was going to make a compromise, I would say that it would be our new thirty one. But I think I'd be more comfortable with it as the new 32. I'm going to leave this up to you guys. I like the Bendis X-Men better. We're on a podcast named after a Bendis X-Men All right. story. I'm going so to be this is, So this is the new 32. <laughs> this will be, be not a bad showing, by the way, no. Mr. Spurrier. Cy Spurrier has like three stories in the top 40, and he's only written like 10 X-Men stories. Well, it doesn't hurt that we like him. Yeah, uh, Cy Spurrier, you're very good at your job. I don't know what anyone's told you, uh, but, man, quite excellent. Please write more. Yeah, please write more, Cy Spurrier. You're good at it. Uh, Now, Cy Spurrier didn't write uh, the next comic, though. Oh, no. No. The next comic is... Shoot, guys, it's a lot. Oh, man. Uh, This is... (laughs) This is the lead into the Age of Apocalypse. Uh, this is Legion Quest. It is a four-part series with a prologue and not really an epilogue, just kind of a weird middle thing. Oh, that one's weird. Uh, we got to talk about that. Written by, and I'm just going down, uh, uh, Todd DeGazzo and John Francis Moore do the prologue in X-Factor 109 with Jan Dersima on art. Uh, you have professional comic book writer Scott Lobdell and Mark Wade on Uncanny 320 with Roger Cruz, who swipes on art. I'm sorry, Roger Cruz. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not Joe Matteria. I know he's mad at you. I don't really care one way or another. Uh, number 40 is my personal best friend, Fabian Nicieza, with uh, pencils by Andy Kubert. Uh, 321 is Wade Lobdell, Ron Garney, who's still very good. Uh 41 is Andy Kubert and Rob Garney uh, with Nicieza doing some of the writing words again. And then on this weird cable number 20 in the middle, it's a uh, head of Marvel TV, Jeff Loeb, with Ian Churchill issue. So strange. Um, 
there's a lot going on here. Matt, what's this story that we named a podcast after once? Uh, it is about Legion waking up out of a coma. Yes. And then everything goes horribly, horribly wrong for our heroes. <laughs> and along the way, there yeah. is so much preamble. That the There's a little bit of preamble. I mean, look, that. this is a preamble to an event that some people in the 90s would call overblown or just so much. Uh, which is, of course, the beautiful and perfect age of apocalypse. I am, uh, I am a fan of Legion Quest. Uh, I think this is a really interesting way to get into the age of apocalypse. Um, but it is a, kind of a weird, messy crossover. Um, the fact that it starts in an X Factor issue with Mystique that doesn't matter. Yeah, w- the X Factor issue does not Mystique matter. Trying it's Mystique to, being mad, yeah, trying to kill Legion for uh, killing Destiny during the Mirror Island saga. Um, then we're switching back and forth from Uncanny to X Men, which I appreciate. We're not going over all the books, and then there's this very strange uh, cable issue that does not make a lot of sense. Um, but at least the f- um, that very strange cable issue does have Cable and Scott Summers and Jean Grey saying, hey, we're all a family, right? Oh, it's adorable. And that's nice. Yes, very adorable. Um, we, and, and this is a time travel story. Um, I, don't, I don't think we've said that yet. David Haller is kicking back to uh, Professor Xavier and, and Magneto's origin story and essentially is there to assassinate Magneto so that, you know, what he sees is wrong with the present will never happen. Yeah, that ends bad for him. <laughs> and everybody. <laughs> I think, so one thing I really like is that it explores the dynamic between Charles Xavier and Magnus uh, very well. It shows them both as flawed characters, but three-dimensional characters in a way that I really hope, one, I think the movies have kind of, beaten that to death oh my god uh but i do hope i do hope legion season three uh that has cast viserys targaryen uh the one that got covered in gold uh as charles xavier uh harry lloyd and i'm excited to see how that plays out yeah that's that's going to be very interesting um but the basic premise here of some of the x-men being uh shot back in time and (laughs) And David essentially pretending to be his father and then eventually accidentally killing his father. Um, And then there's this Macron crystal stuff happening in the background. It's a pretty complicated thing to to keep track of over the four issues. Um, And and of course, it ends with, uh, you know, the end of X-Men as we know it. It's interesting to contrast it to the Claremont issues because when he's... Uh, doing interludes and sort of things away from Muir Island, even if it's in service of setting up kind of future plot lines, it's creating parallels within the story he's telling currently. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, uh, what, uh, the first Uncanny X-Men issue, I wasn't a big fan of the way it starts in Medius Res. It's because of the fact that you don't have to jump back and it's, it almost makes you feel like I you've missed did, something in that crossover. I did literally think that I had missed an issue and I had to go yeah. check. Well, just oh, before I forget as well, you know the giant Legion Quest trade they put out? Sure. Yeah, this is like the back quarter of it. 
because I, I what's the rest in... there's only six issues there's like it's um x-men unlimited things like that because i just kept scrolling through um on comicsology and being like these are still not the issues you told me to read hmm. that's very strange to me because this is yeah, pretty like, hyper focused hmm well like, once you actually get into it yeah mm-hmm. i think it, get, it gets a little bit too complicated when you bring in the uh shia just pick up already happen to do the past and present jumps as well the second you sort of add in another antagonistic force onto that yeah i think that she are stuff i understand that they're trying to set up that by the way the mcon crystal is shattering and it's taking over the entire world and it's going to destroy all life and all existence so they need to set that up because that's their uh, catalyst for the age of apocalypse but also they do a bad job I agree. I mean, the the focus here is so much on what's happening on Earth that the intergalactic force that is going to then propel everybody into this alternate universe, it's not explained very well. You know, it's sort of an excuse for everything to crystallize. And, and, uh, you know, when we get out of this, we get a new line of books. Um, But at that same time, I, I do like the the general premise of this story of having some of the X-Men go back to, um, you know, however many years this is, it's very difficult. They, they call it 20 years ago. Um, you know, who knows with sliding timeline, what the heck that actually means, but, um, Past. Double four times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I do like that basic premise. I mean, I, I generally like time travel stories. It's fine. And then, you know, we do get some problematic stuff here. Um, I think it, it David does an incest Ugh. rape thing, and it's not good. Uh, it's bad, and it's a weird touch to the story. And, oof, why is that there? I don't know. I mean, at least it's off-panel to the, for the most part, but it is pretty strongly insinuated that uh, David does take his father's form and then make love to his mother, which is, oh boy. Um, I didn't know. It's one of those things where it could have damaged a character forever it should have but legion wasn't much of a character at the time no and all this gets undone because also at the end of age of apocalypse legion definitely writes himself out of existence again he tends to do that i guess that's his go-to move and then just pops up again you know no biggie (laughs) Mm -hmm. um yeah so how successful this is i i don't really know you know, it, it's definitely not as successful as some of the other crossovers we've talked about. Um, I do appreciate that it's just bouncing between the two books. It's not Executioner's Song where I have to be reading the entire line to figure out what's going on. Um, the the bookends here are weird. You know, uh, X-Factor 109 is Mystique trying to kill Legion. Um, the epilogue, I guess, suggests that uh, they've been warned about the incoming crystal wave by Lalandra. So they, you know, all the characters that are sort of standing around waiting for the rest of the story to take place are, you know, having these moments and some of them are good. Um, some of them contradict things that happen in X-Men volume two forty one, Um, and it's just a, I don't know. It's strange. You know, but I guess if you needed an Ian Churchill makeout scene between Domino and Cable, you've got that. And look, I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> fair, fair. 
Though, on the point of makeout scenes, I do think where this arc is most successful outside of, like, the Charles and Xavier early year stuff is in uh, X-Men 41 by Nicieza and uh, Kubert, where they are going through and seeing what the X-Men who aren't in the past are doing faced with their end of days. Warren and Gene and Scott, like, being the original X-Men, they just kind of have a moment where Warren's feeling alone, but he hangs out with his old friends one last time. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably the biggest thing is Rogue and Gambit have a moment and they get to share their first kiss as the world ends. And it's very poetic and very good for people invested in that specific relationship. Yeah, um, I think it does a much better job. I I think Fabian's, you know, just more successful in nailing what those scenes should be. And it's not stretched out over an entire issue. There's other stuff going on. Um, Sure, sure. I, I think it works a little bit better. But as a, you know, sort of weird story to lead into one of the most historic crossovers of all comics, I, I think it's still pretty successful. I think the epilogue is. Everything else, the, I think the past becomes infinitely more interesting than everything in the present during the mm-hmm. main storyline. Mm-hmm. It's because it's all collapsing in on itself. And so when it's all kind of feeding into that. And... Um, so I think with all this, we would agree that this is probably the weakest of the three stories that we talked about today. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the writing's not terrible, but, you know, we've got uh, Cruz ripping off lots of Jim Lee art, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is very obvious. Um, you know, Kubert's doing a pretty solid job here on, on his issues, but... It, this certainly is not as strong as, as the other two things that, that we've uh, reviewed. So um, so at 140 on our list is Fatal Attractions. Mm. Is this better or worse than Fatal Attractions? I don't think it's as good as Fatal Attractions. Is it better or worse than Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction, where Cable and Wolverine fight a mountain? Better. Okay, that puts us in a good spot, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, is it better or worse than cocaine? Oof. What? Should we explain that to Matt? That, <laughs> Matt, that's the story where Wolverine gets on a roof and yells cocaine. Uh, he no, then... no, I'm acquainted with cocaine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. Not everyone is. I think that story has an actual title, but I'm, I don't nope, know. No, that's what we've got it on the list as, and that's what it stays as. Here's what I will say. I think this would make a pretty solid 155. I don't think it's as good as the Wolverine cocaine arc, but I do think that it's better than that standalone champions issue. And what's right below it at 156 is uncanny 300. And I think this is better than that. I definitely agree with 300. I'm on the fence on that champions issue. Cause I do like it. That champions issue has fly clops mm-hmm. in it, which is Cyclops when he figures out how to fly, yeah, but this does have more consequence, you know, that for as messy as it is, it is still consequential. Um, and I think it does help to read it if you are trying to sort of get a sense of like, what the heck happened before Age of Apocalypse? Like, how did we end up here, even if it doesn't make all the sense in the world? I think that's fair. I think it's fair to make this our new number 155 Legion Quest. Nice. And that's it. We've <laughs> ranked three stories, which is what we do on the podcast Legion Quest. Is that not right, Adam? That is uh, not my show. Um, that's your show with Matt, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I'm sorry, Matt. That was uh that was 
muscle memory just kind of kicking in there. <laughs> That's fine. It happens to everyone. So uh, before we before we uh, sign off for today, you know, Legion season three starts this evening. In Matt, as our resident Legion expert, wanted to get your thoughts on it, your expectations. You know, what what are you going into this evening? What are you bringing to the show, and what do you think the show is going to give to you? I think that I'm coming into it with the sense that I don't really know what to expect, which is, I think has been true of the show since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And even if it's even you know we know there's going to be a sense of finality to this one, and maybe there's a sense that it'll be tighter because it's not ten episodes like the last season was. Right. But at the same time, I think. It will still have that visual quality and the abstractness, which means, you know, even if you just watch, like, the minute trailer that they put out sometime last month, it still feels inventive. It still feels vivid and fresh. And I don't know yeah. if I'm as enthusiastic as I was going into season two, just because it took a little bit more work to sort of appreciate compared to season one's narrative and where that ended up going i think that's fair i think season one was a heck of a lot tighter Mm. but i i like where things are going here i think that i think that holly's going to surprise us i think there's going to be there's there's a lot of interesting stuff to deal with here and i think this is going to continue to be one of the most challenging shows on the internet and by internet, I mean television, and it's going to be a good time. But yeah, I think I think Legion Season 3 is going to be uh, real fun. And what else has been real fun is, uh, Matt, you being on this podcast today. Uh, tell the people where... Back on the airways. Tell the people where they can uh, find you nowadays. It's the same handle as it always was, at Matt underscore Sibley. And I'm still writing for Newsarama as and when I can. A little bit more difficult now in the adult world, but... Uh, hopefully when this goes up I should have a review of Kelly Thompson's uh, third issue of her Sabrina miniseries awesome I decided I was going to tackle that looking forward to that Uh, well I can tell you guys dear listeners that uh, Battle of the Atom which is this podcast we aren't Legion Quest well we're kind of Legion Quest today Uh, but normally in your RSS feed this is Battle of the Atom is a 100% Patreon-supported show. You can go over to patreon.com slash Files, toss in as little as $2 a month, and get an entire episode just like this handcrafted around one of your suggestions. We've got a long backlog, so get that money in. Now, 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 I guess. I don't care. <laughs> it's your money. Do what you want. Uh, you can also find me online at Xavier Files on Twitter or at XavierFiles.com, where I have all the latest and greatest in X-Men news and other things. We have a very good editorial that should be up by now, uh, that looks at if, based on Catholic canon and X-Men canon combined, Nightcrawler could say a red mass for Mars, on Mars. Nice. Uh, which is which is a tweet I made, and then someone wrote 6,000 words about, and I'm so proud of it. It's legitimately, I would submit that as the only thing to say, no, you need to give my website an Eisner <laughs> this year, because it's the best piece of friggin' comics journalism I've read in a while. Oh, I... I... It's very bold, very bold. I'm not joking. I read it and I said, this is incredible. <laughs> There's 2,000 words about 
the specific bylaws of the Roman Catholic Church before we get to how wild the Chuck Austin run is. <laughs> and it all works. <laughs> you need it just to... It's all there to build up to the fact of just how wildly off-base the Chuck Austin run is. It's... It's an incredibly good dragging, and I am so here for it. Adam, where can people find you? Guys, you you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacey. New pages of Bish and Jubes. Cross-time conundrum. Come out every X-Men Monday at adamreck.tumblr.com. Last week, if you missed it, go on over to Sketched. That's S-K-T-C-H-D.com. Zach and I were part of the uh, Hickman X Draft. Um, We were invited by David Harper to participate in it. it's a subscription site, but I, I highly recommend you to subscribe and check out the article. We both have um, sort of pretend pitches for the Hickman era, and uh, it's pretty cool. Also, um, we recorded uh, later this week now, but it should – I'm not sure when this is going up. But uh, our friends over at Chris's on Infinite Earths have been doing uh, – been covering the Battle of the Atom uh, comic book crossover and Zach and I were guests on the finale of that series. So uh, check out Chris's on infinite earths podcast to, to hear that. I did peer pressure my good friend, Chris. Into doing that. <laughs> I may have said something as well. So uh, I'm glad that we're going to be doing that. Well, Matt, it's been a ton of fun doing this with you. I honestly wish that life hadn't gotten in the way of, you know, us doing Legion quest each and every week. Life, you say, Hmm. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, if Legion Quest never happened, we'd probably never even form our Battle of the Atom. Never, you say. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that well, that can be arranged. Matt. Uh, Matt. That that was odd. Yeah, I'm uh, not sure. Okay. Um, until next time, this has been Battle of the Atom. We. Adam? Hey, what's what's with this crystal? Ad- Adam, it's on me! I, I, I... Zach! Zach! Zoom!